Hello, everybody, and welcome to Poor Man's Lore, episode 8. Today, we have episode 8 of the main story and episode 6 of the side stories. We're going to jump into the main story first. That's the one that I had read first. Very exciting title, Ren and Eight. So this whole main story, it's been really hinging on the plan of Chandra and also Ren for Ren to bond to the world tree. So the good uh, chunk of this chapter is in the beginning, the remaining survivors, we got Koth, Malira, Chandra, Elspeth is kicking around there, uh, Ren most notably, are trying to make their way to the tree, the world tree itself, well I guess Realm Breaker, not the world tree. But we basically see Chandra start by trying to carry Ren. Uh, everyone basically in this story is in bad shape. They've all been kicked around quite a bit. And we have what it seems like is maybe a couple dozen Mirans left at this point. And they're basically playing hot potato to get Ren to the tree. We see this amazing painting uh, by Jason Rainville in the middle of the story which is the you know last couple folks in the Mirren resistance charging through to get Ren to the tree. Uh, eventually, she gets into Malira's arms. Malira gets Ren to the tree. Seems like she does some healing magic with basically the last of what she's got in her, but I don't think she actually dies. Uh, the, the big antagonist in this chapter is uh, Nyssa, still trying to prevent folks from getting to the tree. Eventually, Ren does get to the tree. She is very nervous through this whole thing. I kind of like what they're doing, uh, where they're making Ren kind of like the new Chandra in a way. Uh, you know, Chandra is to Mother Luti as uh, Ren is to Chandra. I really liked that, uh, you know, the, the conflict between fire and nature has been kind of a, mo- a motif through this whole thing for, uh, you know, Chandra and also Ren. And at this point, Ren is kind of without Chandra, even though Chandra's like basically right there. It's just everyone's in like really bad shape. And Ren is wondering, can I do it? Can I do this without Chandra? Can I do this period? A lot of weight on Ren's shoulders. Uh, and then if, essentially she does it. I mean, it's a, it's not an exceedingly long chapter, because essentially, uh, Ren bonds with the tree. We find that there is a natural element still within Phyrexia, even though it's uh, not Phyrexia, within uh, Realmbreaker, even though it has been highly Phyrexianized and uh, diminished. She does find it and helps it grow and grow and grow. And her plan is to find Teferi. So we see uh, Ren is aided at this point by Chandra, who starts, you know, really encouraging her, saying, you know, yes, you can do this, you can, you can, uh, you know, bond with this thing, you can grow it, which seems to be a pretty monumental effort, as this is, like, probably the largest tree in the multiverse. And we get to see a card at this point, uh, which I love when they do that, when they drop a card in the middle of a story, nothing feels more cool than that. Uh, we see both the regular art and borderless art for Ren and Realmbreaker. I'm just going to read that card because I, you know, <laughs> all of this lore is about a card game that most people who enjoy the lore probably enjoy playing. So here's that. 
We got Ren and Realm Breaker. It costs one and two green. It is a legendary planeswalker, Ren. It's a, it has, it's actually, you know what? I didn't even realize this, but it is a big deal when a character gets a four ability planeswalker card. Um, that's notable. So this one has lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. It's plus one ability is up to one target land you control becomes a 3-3 elemental creature with vigilance, hexproof, and haste until your next turn. It is still a land. Minus two, mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the milled cards into your hand, and it's minus seven is you get an emblem with you may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard. Starting loyalty of four. So I would say a pretty solid card overall. And I mean, truly, what is worse than an aggressively mid-Planeswalker looking at you, Elspeth, from Theros Beyond Death? That that one was not great. This one is. Uh, we also got the Elspeth card in yesterday's stories, which was similarly epic and seemingly playable. So, love that. We eventually see Realm Breaker with quite a lot of effort. Really can't overstate how much effort it took to actually get there. Uh make a portal into Zalfir, which uh, Teferi kind of goes, oh, hey, Ren, old friend. And we basically just see Zalfir is ready to kick some Phyrexian ass. I mean, they have been... The reason that Zalfir was phased out in the first place, a little recap for those of you that might not know, basically in the, I would say, first or second, I don't know, one of the earlier Phyrexian invasions, when Urza was kicking around with his nine titans, he you know, asked Teferi to be in the group, and Teferi refused him and basically said, fuck no, uh, I don't want to be associated with you. And at some point, he asked uh, Teferi if, I don't know if he actually asked or if he kind of just made the plan of uh, Zalfir being one of the most technologically advanced civilizations uh, on Dominaria was going to be the target uh, for the Phyrexians that Urza was basically going to sacrifice in order to defeat them. And Ferry, being super not okay with that, phased the entirety of Zalfir out of Dominaria. So that's where it's been. Um, and it's interesting, like, metaphysically, phasing is a really interesting mechanic, I guess you could call it. Because, you know, obviously, yeah, like, it is a card mechanic, but it's also narratively really interesting where, you know, you think of... Okay, so there's the multiverses, which are, like, pockets within uh, the blind eternities, but it seems like when something phases out, it goes beyond the blind eternities, where, like, Elspeth, well, I guess that was, you know, that was technically the card said Exile, but there was that one card in uh, Phyrexia All Will Be One where Elspeth basically leaves the blind eternities, I think it's like Settle Beyond Reality or something like that. I'm going to look it up because I, I I think this is like an interesting, you know, I'm always fascinated by how like cards and the lore play off of each other, sometimes in really fantastic, flavorful ways and sometimes in ways like that are totally, you know, separate from each other with like Ikoria you know, you get the actual story of Luca, and he, like, hates animals, but you get the showcase art of the Luca Planeswalker card, the first one, and him and that cat look, like, dope as hell and, like, they're thick as thieves when that could not be further from the truth. So I think it's called Settle Beyond Reality. 
Look up Settle Beyond. No, that's a different card, actually. Okay, hang on. I'm going to pause and actually look this up. Okay, so it's actually called Vanish Into Eternity, which is pretty close to Settle Beyond Reality, but in that instance, it exiles target non-land permanent. Uh, you know, that was basically just a thing that my brain wanted to go off and look at, but, you know, interesting distinction that I'm pretty sure Zalfir, when it was phased out, was beyond even the Blind Eternities, so we see in this moment that, I guess, Ren kind of, like, reaches out and talks to Teferi, but then it becomes clear if we want to get some Zalfirian soldiers to get onto New Phyrexian, I wouldn't say soil, but uh, the plane of New Phyrexia, uh, we're going to need a bigger portal and a stronger connection and more growth from Eight and Ren, uh, which it is cute to note that once the connection is made, Ren starts calling the Realm Breaker Eight rather than Realm Breaker. So Ren basically accepts that death is pretty likely if, uh, you know, for, for both eight and herself, if they, if they continue on this growth path to actually make the portal, but you know, Ren says, Nope, I'm doing it. This is my purpose. I'm going for it. And Teferi and his Salfirans come through and, it's pretty clear at this point they're about to completely wreck New Phyrexia. We do have uh, two more main stories, and also worth noting, we have two more side stories. So I, you know, we either get a side story and a main story each day, or we get, uh, you know, probably two side stories and then two main stories. I don't imagine that they'll do main stories uh, first, but heck, maybe they will. I don't know. They've been doing a lot of things differently than I would have thought uh, they would have done in these releases, but I love when they, you know, change it up and vary things like that. So I guess now we're going to move on to the side story, which was a side story set on Ravnica. And, you know, a note on the side stories, I feel like they've all been, I don't, I don't want to say one note, because they definitely haven't been. Um, I guess in terms of theme, They've all been pretty one note, uh, or I guess not one note, more just consistent, right? They've all been a plane mounting a successful defense against New Phyrexia. And, you know, that is true of this one as well. But the narrative devices that they use to portray this on each different plane not only makes each plane stand out and feel so vibrant and differentiated from the others in the series, it, it just... It, it makes the characterization of each story feel really different where like, you know, in the Innistrad one, you have the letters from uh, Garolf and Gisa in the Eldraine ones, you have Rankle basically telling a fairy tale. Uh, so on Ravnica, what do we get? Uh, again, very interesting perspective here. It is Vraska's perspective the entire time, uh, right until a snippet at the end. The interesting part, though, comes that Vraska, with, you know, some Jace mind magic, has, a, like, a partition in her mind that she can go, you know, Vraska's true self can go and hide in. So we get to kind of see things through, like, true Vraska, real Vraska, the diminished part that's hiding in a corner of Vraska's brain, 
and we get to see Phyrexian-controlled, um, you know, completed Vraska. So, like, you know, there's this one little paragraph. I'll just, you know, start with this. Um, now I watch what we do through the haze of memory and dream, watching us now, riding a cold and inorganic branch of a strange and alien tree, leading the destruction of the city I love so much. Feels like sleepwalking. I'm having a challenging time discerning the difference between the nightmares we are enacting and the pleasant memories I recall. It feels as if I cannot tell if I got out of bed or not. And yet I still feel awake and alive and glorious, charged with purpose by Elish Norn herself. So right in the middle of that sentence right there, between the words still and I feel, right, there's that switch and it goes, uh, it goes from one type of text to another to differentiate that switch in perspective from regular Vraska to Phyrexian complete Vraska. And we see, you know, basically Vraska laying waste to Ravnica here. Uh, and one of the, you know, one of the things like, you know, I'll, I'll kind of take us through it because it, it is one of those things where you kind of just, you have to get, the words, you know, you have to read it. You can only summarize so much from this. You can't summarize like a theme or, you know, the way it's written in that, like the jumping back and forth is just brilliant. So, you know, I'll, I'll do a bit of this. Um, you know, Vraska says make landfall here. And this is in the Phyrexianized, uh, you know, voice. I'll try and do voices so that, uh, so that it, you know, so it's differentiated. But make landfall here, I call out. Dozens answered our command, and Realmbreaker t- continues to plunge downward. Realmbreaker's great limbs dive into the cobblestones and lift it to the sky. But we order caution amid the chaos. I want to enter that one building, but I am not sure why. It is the prison I was held in. The prison I tried and succeeded in escaping. Right, so it goes back to regular Vraska. And it goes back and forth, where, like, you can tell the actions are Vraska's, but sometimes Phyrexian complete Vraska doesn't know why, you know, Vraska has one being. And and the story is called Ravnica, one and the same, so, you know, very thematic. Uh, You know, why that action is being performed. So, like, here we see Vraska go back to the prison that she was tortured in that ultimately wound up igniting her spark. Um... And we, you know, we really get these flashbacks and they're very emotional and very heavy, you know, maybe it's the, you know, present day, you know, context that we find these stories framed by with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, basically that kind of, you know, similar political context that, you know, we have in our own world. It's really interesting, like you see Vraska not just as Vraska, you also can see like you know, the struggle that someone might go through with police brutality. Like, it's just, it's brilliant to, you know, flesh out Vraska's character in this way that at least, you know, maybe it's just my perspective has changed, but, uh, you know, that's not something I had really thought of when I thought of Vraska. Like, oh yeah, victim of police brutality? Like, no, that was never front of my mind. It was like, oh, Vraska, a cool pirate, Gorgon, assassin lady, Jace girlfriend, you know, now... It just, it adds to that. Uh, it, you know, it, it just, it adds to Vraska's character in a really incredible way uh, without taking anything away. 
Um, essentially, we get a, a fun motif. Well, it's kind of gross, but of eyes where Vraska, you know, it's interesting how Phyrexia takes like that one, like a, a, a unique characteristic of you and turns it up to 11, right? So Vraska being a Gorgon has the power to turn things to stone. Well, Vraska in her completed form is ordering people to have their eyes gouged out, make them blind and complete them. Uh, so we see a lot of Golgari get changed, uh, you know, but also we see like an Azorius and Boros guard, uh, from the prison. They, they get completed and she specifically gives the order blind them, uh, you know, basically informed by the trauma that she suffered in this, uh, you know, in this specific prison. I would definitely encourage you to read this one. Again, it's it's one that I can kind of explain it, but I can only explain so much. The context and the beautiful writing by Alison Lurz here, which this is actually the last story we'll get by Alison Lurz because she was a uh, wizard employee who I guess is no longer with Wizards of the Coast. So an incredible send-off, uh, to be sure. I know I recognize the name. I don't recognize like immediately what other stories she might have done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Ixalan. You know, let me, let me look it up. Let me look it up. Give me a second. Well, you know, I thought I recognized the name. Uh, she wrote, Note for a Stranger. I thought she would have maybe written more, and that's why I recognized the name. No, it was just one really good story. Uh, so that is, you know, uh, similarly, like, it's just the writing. Um, you got to just kind of check it out. It's It's hard to explain. So anyway, uh, back to the story. We see... Uh, you know, a lot, one, I'll just skip right to one of my favorite parts. We see a lot of like Jace memories through this that are, you know, similarly adorable. I love Vraska and Jace and I kind of hope that it works out for them, but hopes are not high because so far we have lost Tamio, like for certain Luca for certain, not that I'm putting them in the same category, but you know, kinda, my, my hopes just aren't really super high for Phyrexianized Planeswalkers living beyond this conflict. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, one of my favorite parts is we go back to Vraska's apartment, and it's just incredible where we get to see where she lived you know, before becoming Guildmaster, before the events of War of the Spark, and we see all of these little, you know, knickknacks that she's collected and like I love this this one line where she says an entire uh an entire chariot from Segovia which is like an in joke because Segovia everything is one one hundredth the size that it is on Segovia than it would be like on Ravnica so that was pretty cool but you know we get to see again Phyrexian conflict between collectivism versus you know, someone having an identity, Vraska's identity being, you know, she collected things from all these different planes and brought them back to her apartment. And, hey, I, re- I, I really uh, identify with that, you know, being someone who likes clutter, who likes to, you know, have different little things in every corner of their space. Like, that's who you are, you know? My desk is cluttered with magic cards and, you know, all kinds of junk. And, like, that's who I am. I love having a cluttered desk. Uh, it just really resonated with me looking at Vraska's apartment and, uh, you know, also where she lived with Jace. It, it just, it all drips with, like, flavor and honestly just with love. Uh, 
you know, I was very impressed by that. Basically, then from there we go and we see other, you know, little facets of Ravnica. The focus is not at all on Ravnica, though. It's definitely more on Vraska. We do see a funny little scene where some Simic run out and they're like, whoa, what is this? This is sick. And then they volunteer to get completed because, like, you know, very Simic thing to do. We pick up some Izits and then uh, we actually see that Ral has prepared for this. Uh, I don't know, you know, if this was always the plan or what, but it seems like he basically just like punched Vraska and killed her because there was some kind of device that was in her pocket. So maybe Jace gave that to, you know, Planeswalkers as like a contingency of like if they come to Ravnica, Rao just like punch him and I, I don't know. Maybe, it, it's some is it magic science, you know, stuff. But we see a really sad moment at the end, uh, you know, between Jason Vraska and I actually want to read this one part because it, it's just so heartbreaking, and I think it's also kind of like a double entendre, and it's very clever, and I really liked it. But there's this scene, basically, after we see Vraska get the shit punched out of her, we see this little scene where it's just Jason Vraska, and it's beautiful. I don't really know what to make of it in terms of, like, is it real? Is it a memory? Uh, you know, I, I think I might... I, you know, I would think it's one thing, but then I, you know, there's a little part at the end of the episode that makes me think, well, fuck, maybe not. So, let me find this. It's, yeah, in a sudden rush, I finally get what kept Liliana on the hook all those years. It draws my eyes up and around, and around us as he runs a trail of kisses down my neck. Jace projects back, his mind overriding my own dream, a rush of images of his own. We're in Kaladesh, we're back on the deck of the belligerent, you know, we're in a glade in Zendikar, we're in Innistrati Castle, we're in the chamber of the guild pack, you know, and it's going through all of this, right? And it's it's a beautiful moment of a passionate kiss between Jace and Vraska, and I think it's very telling, that little line where it says, I see what Liliana held on to for so many years. I think that's really important here. I think it's very possible this is the kiss of death where, you know, yeah, Liliana loves death, but, you know, now it's not, like, her main thing. Yes, it's certainly what her powers are linked to, but I guess, you know, it's also a reference to the fact that Liliana and Jace were together for, you know, quite a long time. Whatever it is, it's beautiful. You know, I wonder if maybe this is kind of her memories from Jace flashing before her eyes as she dies. And I would say she's dead, but, you know, after a, a very sad but also beautiful and romantic moment between Jace and Braska where she ends by saying, I love you too, Captain, a reference to the whole Ixalan thing, we see Ral, who is, you know, completely drained and exhausted and traumatized after this invasion. We see a reference to the fact that the invasion has ended. We see him standing there with his partner, Tomic. And the last thing that we're left with is someone, you know, an underling of Rao's coming up and saying, you know, we didn't find a body. So, hey, maybe Vraska's safe out there. You know, at this point, we're left. I will say, to this point, 
in the story, they've done an excellent job with a pretty impossible task. I am, you know, maybe it's my expectations were low, but I am really, really impressed with what they've managed to pull off in this story. Like I said before, we have two main stories left. We have two side stories left. I can't wait to see what they hold. At this point, I would say the only, like, gaps that I'm thinking of off the top of my head that they're probably going to want to tie up before the end, and I think they have plenty of room to explore them in enough detail to do so. Uh, We haven't seen Jace this whole time, which kind of leads to questions of, like, what he's up to because he just mysteriously left. I... I have my theories. We also haven't really seen a Johnny yet, uh, which we saw them, you know, getting set up at the beginning. Uh, he's on Theros. I am uniquely interested in seeing what the hell's going on in Theros. They said they completed three gods. I would like to know which three those were. Please don't let it be Crufix because that would destroy me. Uh, but you know, those are like to the two. So basically Jace, a Johnny slash Theros, uh, the third one being Nahiri slash Zendikar slash probably Sorin. I think it'd be really cool to see Sorin go back and defend Zendikar, which is notoriously something he's not super good at. But hey, maybe now that Nahiri is dead, we'll get that. Uh, you know, beyond that, if they wanted to, I think they have a little room for like some closure, some epilogue. But we also get ten more stories with aftermath, which I'm sure are probably going to be devastating. But, you know, Elishnorn's still alive. They gotta take care of that. I guess that's the final showdown. You know, maybe that's our four right there. Jace, Nahiri, Ajani, and then the final showdown. But I don't think we're getting any big magical MacGuffin uh, because we kind of saw, like, the damage was pretty lasting when we saw Ral, and it referenced that that whole scene took place two days after the invasion. Maybe that was just the initial invasion, but I... I kind of think, you know, these changes are going to be pretty permanent. Uh, I don't think Teferi's going to, like, go back in time and change time and all that. Uh, You know, those are are really my thoughts for today. Really looking forward to what, you know, comes tomorrow. Again, hilarious that I'm right at the 27-minute mark. Uh, I am going to be posting a link to a Patreon soon. Please support that if you can. It would mean the world, and, uh, you know, heck, I'd love to do this full-time someday, but... Until then, I dream. Uh, You know, like, follow, share, review. Word of mouth is huge. If you have any other magic lore interested friends and you think you want to share this with them, it would mean the world to me. Let me know you're listening. You know, I feel like I've done a couple of these now, and it's kind of hard to tell if I'm just screaming into a void or if people are actually out there enjoying what I say. You know, I look at the analytics, but who knows if those are actually relevant or real or not. So thank you for listening. This has been Poor Man's Lore, and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.